Welcome to the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Insane descent to madness, either or, you know, it's always up in the air. But I'll be telling improvised horror stories this evening, pulling titles from a hat that I've never seen before. And the stories will go where they will. This first story is called Virgins and Goats. It, it's miraculous that that was like the first one that I pulled. Yeah, of all the, yeah. Anyway. seminar class. Freshman seminar was a semester-long course that kind of focused on, you know, just like, you know, why cyberbullying is bad and all that. But I've heard complaints from older, older students of just like, oh, why didn't they teach, you know, how to do taxes and whatnot, or what W-2s are and all that. I could never answer that question. But perhaps I'd be able to as the years went down. Usually I'd sit alone in the lunchroom and whatnot. I'd crash at other people's tables sometimes, you know, if I knew like one or two people there. But only, I'd only be there for you know, about a few weeks or so, and then move on to another table. For some reason, I wasn't able to stick to anything, you know, when I was in the cafeteria. Other than just getting the same pizza for lunch every day. I remember they'd sell for two dollars. They'd have other meal deals with french fries and chicken nuggets. But if you wanted the pizza meal, that'd be two dollars. Other meals were like 150, 175. 
there was a day when I had to serve detention, you know, just because I was late so often that they ended up giving it to me. And they were just like, oh, you're such a good student, I really don't want to give you detention. And in my head, I was just like, oh, why are you giving me detention, you know? It's kind of a contradiction there. Abiding by a slate of ethics and policy when I came to school. I wasn't too concerned about that. I was more concerned about, you know, just meeting people at school and whatnot. So I just spent that detention, you know, doing homework and whatnot. I think I was supposed to be there after school for like 45 minutes. But when I was there for 40, the teacher there was just like, yeah, you can, you can go. And I was like, okay, cool probably had to get off to do something, you know, else more miraculous or something. I never really thought about the personal lives of the teachers that I went to school with. Only that I just needed some friends. So I was walking down the hall saw a bunch of flyers for all these clubs that were starting up. It was late September, so it was around the time for that. And I was just like, oh, clubs, I can hang out and meet people there. There was a chess club that appealed to me, an anime club, and I was like, oh, that's cool. But then I saw one flyer that really stuck out to me. top, all it said was Satan Club in big, bold, black letters. And I was just like, Satan Club? And I was just like, well, I guess Halloween's around the corner. You know, it is almost October. But yeah, Satan Club. It was scrawled on there like any other thrash metal or black metal band logo, but it was legible. But it totally looked metal as fuck, which I was like, damn, I like metal as fuck things. So I read the flyer a bit, and it just said, hey, you, in my head, I was just like, who, me? And they were just like, yeah, you, and I was just like, oh, shit, it's like the flyer's talking directly to me, you know? And it kept going on to say, just like, if you like Satan, or metal, or any of the intersections between the two, you should totally come to Satan Club. Down with church, up with being badass. But ass was spelled with uh, uh, two uh, dollar signs and like the at symbol. And I was just like, oh, I can't believe the teachers let them get away with that. And then a kid near me was just like, yeah, well, we just put it up today, so they don't quite know about it yet. and I recognized the, you know, the kid to be named Virgil. We were in math class together, and we'd, like, chat sometimes, you know. Usually talking about, you know, anime or something like that. Or, like, old cartoons and all that. And he was just like, yeah, I'm in Satan Club. 
I'm just like, you're in Satan Club? And he was just like, oh yeah. And I was just like, well, well, what do you do in Satan Club? And he was just all like, well, satanic things, of course. And I was like, damn, that's fucking convincing. And I was just like, okay, cool, I'll, I'll check it out and whatnot. Eventually, uh, it came to be October 1st, the first day of the spookiest month of the year, and I arrived at Satan Club. It had a view of the, uh, the garden for the school, which the school didn't have a school garden. They used to. They still have the plot of land for it. But, uh, I'd look out that window and just be like, oh, what a lovely space to plant a garden. Flowers or foods or whatnot. But no one wanted to start a garden club or anything. But it still was, uh, the school was built on a swamp, so it was a really nice view uh, to be in Satan Club. much more casual affair than I anticipated. You know, I was kind of expecting just like, alright, let's get down to Satan business. But then I was just like, no, let's just fucking play like D&D &D and listen to metal and stuff. And I was just like, oh shit, that's really cool. And then one other kid explained it to me, just like, yeah, we mainly just do the things that like, you know previous generations of parents would just, like, cite as satanic or whatever, you know. We play D&D, listen to metal, watch Friday the 13th movies, you know. All in good fun. And I was just like, oh damn, that sounds like my kind of jam. So there was a week or two that came by and I would go to these clubs. And we would just, like, you know, have fun and hang out. A lot of the kids really didn't like Christianity. Probably a big pool for them to call it the Satan Club to antithesize that. But I didn't grow up with or without church, so I didn't have any strong feelings about it. And then one day Virgil came to me, and he was just like, oh, yeah, so... Uh, two weeks to Halloween. And I was just like, yeah, pretty cool. October's my favorite month. And Virgil was just like, yeah. You know, I'm gonna... I'm gonna disclose something to you. We usually don't like to reveal to, like, new members yet, but... It is Satan Club, because we do dabble in Satanism and whatnot. And I was like, okay, well, that, you know... Satanism's okay? Sure. And then Virgil was just like, yeah, but there's a bit of a, an initiation to uh, be fully part of the club. And I was like, well, I'm down for it. What is it? And Virgil was just like, well, I'm going to tell you because I think you're cool. 
you're gonna have to sacrifice a goon. And I was just like, what? And he was just like, that's right. You're gonna have to sacrifice a virgin goon. As a bounty for Satan. totally be in Satan Glove. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, if the club's just like, a big, if a big part of the club is just, you know, talking about things that were decried as Satanism, you know, wouldn't goats be in that category as well? You know, I didn't, I've met some goats, I think they're really fun and hilarious and cool. sacrificing them for seemingly satanic pur satanic purposes seems like the kind of satanic stereotype that you're trying to avoid. And Virgil's just like, no, you don't get it. You, you see, since the goats are labeled as satanic creatures, we're trying to free them from that label restriction. And I was like, okay, that seems a little bit backwards. Virgil was just like, we just want to free everyone from Christian tyranny. And I nodded, and I was like, okay. And then Virgil was just like, oh, come on, you know. Farms do it all the time. If you want, we can, like, sell the meat to, like, a farmer so it could be made into food so it's less weird. And then I thought to myself, just like, yeah, somehow that makes it less weird. And I was just like, okay, well... Alright, I'll participate in the ceremony. Sure, sure. I guess I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a roll. And Virgil was just like, okay, great. So, we're gonna meet on October 20th, and then you can just... You can just bring the goat, and then we'll get started. And I was just like, bring the goat? And then Virgil was just like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're the new member, you're gonna bring the goat. And I was all like, but, but I don't know any goats. Virgil was just like, well, no, don't use a goat you know, you know, but like, you're, you're bringing the goat. You gotta, you gotta find a goat and bring it to Satan Club. And I was just like, well, where am I gonna find goats? And Virgil was just like, on a farm, I guess. I don't know. There's a goat farm with some, uh, oxen and stuff, uh, two towns over. You can try going there, try taking a goat there. Give it a whirl. So what ended up happening was... I took a train two towns over. I met two other Satan Club initiates. Named Clark and Chris. We all agreed that we would get this goat together, you know. Now, goats weren't allowed on the train, so we didn't know what to do with that. Uh, Chris was looking into getting a ride so we can haul the goat that way. But it's, it was also likely that we had to walk two towns over to the ceremony site. Clark and Chris were all 
huddled together. We had some flashlights and stuff. We waited until like maybe 1.30 in the morning and then we made our move. We snuck onto the farmland and then immediately the goats were just like screaming and braying and I was just like, oh fuck, fuck. Rushed off the property, and a farmer there is like looking around. And then, after a couple minutes, he heads back in check after checking on the goats. So, I was trying to think, Clark and Chris, of just like, how can we get one of these goats? And I kind of raised the grander question of how do you sneak up on a goat? Very loud and very alert. So we waited longer until like maybe like four in the morning or so. And then we steadily walked. Hopped over the fence and then approached a one goat that was sleeping. Grabbed it by its muzzle and then tried to like rush with it as quickly as possible. We passed it over the fence and then we started we started to bolt, guiding the goat with us. This goat was screaming and the other goats were screaming. The farmer came out again, but we were already gone. going on a deserted road and then I think it was Clark that asked uh, so what do we do now and then Chris said I guess we start walking from small towns, but it's definitely the longest walk I've ever taken up to that point. We didn't arrive in our neighborhoods until like 10 o'clock in the morning. And then Chris agreed to store the goat at his house. He had a shed that he could stay in. ceremony. Everyone was wearing a bunch of hoods, holding candles, and letting the wax drip on their hands. Chris and Clark were super uh, 
nervous and ambivalent about this whole affair at this point. Seeing everyone really decked out and really into it. I was just like, oh, do we really want to, you know, sacrifice this goat for an after-school club? And then Virgil uh, nudged me. He was like, oh, don't worry. It's not like you're going to be striking, like, the final blow or anything like that, you know. It's going to be one of the seniors that does it. And then they pass it on to the next uh, class and so on and so forth. That's how Satan Club goes. It's all about traditions and passing things along. I just thought, uh, yeah, whatever. I told myself that I didn't want to watch, but I ended up staring anyway. They had the goat tied up in the center of a pentagram, and I was just like, well, that's pretty quiche, you know? Pretty kitsch, or niche. Very stereotypical. senior had a dagger and he was ready to gut open this poor goat who was screaming and braying, knowing what was going to come and didn't want it to happen. And then the senior came close to the goat and he was just like, wait a minute. And everyone was just like, oh, what? And the senior said, this, this goat's not a virgin. What? No, no, this goat's not a virgin. What do you mean the goat's not a virgin? Guys, this goat fucks. Oh no! God damn it. We grabbed a goat that wasn't a virgin. Me, Clark, and Chris were just like, oh shit. And Virgil turned to me and was just like, why why the fuck did you why didn't you grab a virgin goat? And I was just like, you didn't say anything about a virgin goat. And Virgil was just like, I clearly said we needed a virgin goat for the ceremony. You heard the senior, this goat fucks. shouting at us and throwing crumpled up paper balls at us. And they said that we were banished from Satan Club for fucking up the intro October ceremony. So me, Chris, and Clark are just walking together with this goat because they didn't want the goat anymore. And the goat seemed to calm down at this point realizing that it wasn't going to get sacrificed because it got laid. But then as we're together, me, Chris, and Clark are starting to talk a little bit more. We actually have a fair amount in common, you know. We did some chatting on the walk with the goat, because what else are we going to do on that walk? But after being extradited from Satan Club, we were just like, oh yeah, we, we should all hang out, you know? So what we ended up doing was returning the goat to the farmer with a huge, profuse apology. And then 
we heard that a, a garden club was going to open up at the school in the next semester. And we are just like, oh shit, we should go do that. You know, just like plant some flowers and hang out in like the grass and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that sounds cool. Sounds like a good spot to hang out. So we uh, joined that club and anime club and just had, and from then on I had a pretty chill uh, freshman year. Nice coming of age story for sure, you know. Nice a nice change of pace. Alright, this next story is called Community Organizing A Tratisse by Machiavelli. <laughs> ah, alright. Benjamin Wallace was a, well, I would call him a well-known writer. He was a political opinion writer. One that was, that came of age uh, during a time when it was easier to differentiate between politics and opinions. But he started his writing career in the 90s, working for some alt-weeklies here and there. A lot of people didn't like his work, but then also a lot of people did. A lot of his theories were pretty crackpot, but every once in a while he'd make a good point. landscape uh, changed beneath his feet uh, between 2007 and 2011. He started to change his tactics a little bit to adapt to a transforming landscape. He started to slowly deviate to print. S started slowly to deviate from print and focused on uh, his Twitter following. He started his account and 2009. Then after a while, he ended up getting a hundred thousand followers. No, more like thirty thousand. Thirty thousand followers by 2020. It was certainly enough of a pool to be called an influencer.
And often what he ended up doing was, uh, he still managed to find work at online publications. He's done some freelance for the Washington Post, uh, The Guardian. And he, even some alt-weeklies from time to time. He was old-fashioned in a way that he still committed to, uh, traditional means of publication. Even though that many publications are directly, uh, dis distributed by the, uh, creator of that, uh, article and whatnot. But he still believed in the, uh, the validity of getting published from uh, a larger organization. started to write uh, more specifically about community organizing, about its follies and its flaws. Not for the sake of uh, shitting on them willy-nilly, but usually the community organizers he would talk shit on were people who were fighting things that he also believed, mainly that just like Nazis are bad, you know? kind of a simple concept to grasp philosophically. But when he saw community organizers uh, that tried to, uh, who agreed with this philosophical thought, they would do things to, you know, fuck, other, fuck over community organizers and just communities in general. You know, for instance, taking money or just chewing people out when they shouldn't have whole barrage of possible conflicts between humans and people. going on this track, he, uh, ended up doing more research, you know. He was really getting into, he was on a raw data kick. Going to libraries and whatnot. Digging up old archives. And having been in the political writing game for a while, it always daunted him how history repeated, him, repeated itself. How you can find the literal same conversations that happen today in publications and writings uh, anywhere between 50 and 100 years ago. And Benjamin would think, oh, did we really fucking get anything done at all? Eventually, he was. He found this one peculiar publication. I guess you could call it a zine. Not quite a zine. Not quite po propaganda. It was certainly a 
A publication that lacked a category. I guess you could call it a pamphlet, for lack of a better phrase. It was a literal pamphlet. But the content in it seemed pretty random. It just had a lot of pictures from different social and political movements from around the world, uh, ranging from the 1930s to the 1960s. It was old and the paper was yellow. So Benjamin was flipping through it and he... He found, like an, inter he found an interesting article called Community Organizing, a treatise by Machiavelli. started reading it, and it was just about a, a writer, uh, I guess it was more like a think piece, uh, they were talking about a recently surfaced publication called Community Organizing, a treatise by Machiavelli, where Machiavelli talks about community organizing, in a lot of the ways that it kind of is, exists today. say that the way Machiavelli described it was more or less just to be shitty, shitty to people on purpose, you know. How not to pretend to be on the force of good and just be, you know, just be shitty and be very open about what you want from society. If you want power, just say it. Just say you want to dominate others and whatnot. not to guise it as some sort of noble pursuit. Now Benjamin read this and he thought it was peculiar. So he went to do more research on it and lo and behold, he did find that Community Organizing, a treatise by Machiavelli, was a publication that existed. Took him a while. Took him a while to find the raw text, but he eventually had to pay a small fee for a exclusive library to be able to read it. It was about 120 pages the whole thing more than once. He read it once that night, and then read it two more times those next two weeks. Really intrigued by Machiavelli's thought of just, you know, just being shitty and cruel for the sake of power and dominance. It was something he always found peculiar about politics, of how every, literal, every politician organizer, always speaks that they're on the side of good, whereas Machiavelli was just like, nah, I just want to fucking kick ass and, like, dominate everything, you know? I'm not saying that's good or evil, I'm just an asshole. Benjamin started to think about it philosophically, and what ended up happening was, Benjamin started to write an article about it. It was different enough so it didn't come off like that one pamphlet zine that he picked up. 
and he wrote like a nice thoughtful think piece of it pretty much it was just like hey i can't fucking believe i found this community organizing a treatise by machiavelli kind of summarized it and gave his own two cents on it but ultimately he's pretty much saying yeah machiavelli was an asshole and up just on his own personal blog he would usually blog every morning sometimes he'd just have like morning coffee and just write about his thoughts or whatever and only his diehard followers would really read them so he didn't expect anyone to pick up on it it was repeatedly shared on social media for the next two days. Started off as it usually does. Started off as just people in his network sharing it. And people in their networks with large followers. And it got to the point where the article, not so much the article, but the idea of the community organizing introduced by Machiavelli infiltrated the media cycle. And people uh, on large-scale news broadcasts, news, uh, were talking about it. Even Trump uh, referenced him. He was just like, Machiavelli, I don't know, doesn't seem like such a bad guy. Now, as Benjamin wrote about the methodology of Machiavelli's take on community organizing, over the next few months, people were adopt, adopt, uh, adopting it more explic explicitly. circles. Started off as gradual. Started off as being referenced. But then when he spent time in activist circles, uh, people would talk about it. People working in the White House would cite it. saw one quote that just kind of referenced the uh, Machiavelli text and was just like, yeah, I figured, you know, I decided to just be an asshole so I can just uh, dominate people and just do what I want and mold the world in a way that I see fit. And I was just like, yeah, it's a good idea. And I started doing it. And uh, community organizing has been very successful f since. Benjamin was just like, oh, fuck. months went by, the thoughts and ideals of Machiavelli were steadily infiltrating society, more so than they already were, and 
and started to rub off from political and activist circles into social circles where people were being more cruel to each other. that occurred because it got to the point where everyone wanted to see the world in their own image and eventually found got to the point where they they decided to stop pretending that that what that that was what they didn't want eventually got to the point where Benjamin would just like scroll down his social media sites and see this further dilapidation of society. So eventually one night he's scrolling through Twitter and he decides to end his Twitter account went to bed without his phone, but it didn't feel good as he tried to sleep, thinking that he moved the moved human society in the wrong direction. Now that, that now that's that's a that disturbed me. Yeah, I tell you, the scariest ones are always the political ones. Did I miss it? Did I miss it? The Machiavelli story? Any story. <laughs> There's a... Uh, did you put in the there Machiavelli one? I no. did not put mine, in the Machiavelli. Mine was the Machiavelli. Nice. Yeah. It was... It was yeah. I heard the Ghost of Virgins one. I was like, fuck, I miss all the fun. Yeah. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. My vertical is going on. All right. Now you can show up. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll probably be doing like one or two more stories because they've been kind of running a bit long but we'll, we'll see how it goes well don't stress yourself with my account you know yeah yeah you yeah, haven't got your help you haven't got anything yeah usually when i uh this is a laid-back spook show and usually when that happens the stories tend to be a bit longer and more laid-back laid yeah what makes it laid-back because i'm really tired but like okay so like nothing's really changing so you're exhausted yeah but also okay. it's a more you know it's <laughs> I wasn't sure whether that changed the format. It did. Well, it would, it would usually just like, uh, there's different like speeds of Spook Show, you know? And sometimes I'm at the speed where just like the stories are like longer, but they're more like detailed, you know? Okay. So I'm, I, it seems like I'm in that speed because the last two were pretty long. But then again, I could, you know, could just start, start uh, doing rambunctious spooky salads or something. You never know. <laughs> It can go any direction. That's that the idea. beauty of it. Rambunctious spooky salad. salad. Yeah. You better eat them before they eat you. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, this... This next story is called Cynics Make My Heart Go Pitter Patter. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> Pitter patter with my heart. hard to exist in the world when everyone was so cynical, especially now, but I suppose it's always been that way. I like to perceive life as a thing full of opportunities and avenues so that people can become or pursue whatever they want. Sure, some people had a much more difficult time than others in doing that. But as long as the possibility existed, that was enough for me to sleep easy at night. But still, when I talk to people and They'd be so cynical, you know? So cynical. <laughs> and I'd be like, but why is everything so... Why, why are you being so cynical? And they'd be like, because everything's shitty. And I'm just like, well, that's... Come on. Why not be optimistic? And they'd be like, fuck you. And I'd be like, whoa, man. I'm just trying not to be cynical. Not even trying to be optimistic, I'm just trying to be level, you know? It was getting too much. It was feeling it was feeling like I was suffocating. Going through life felt, you know. Again, I like to see things in terms of opportunities and avenues, but when I spent time with cynical people, I was like I was being inside of a digestive tract, and there was nowhere to go. It was awful, and it made my heart go pitter-patter. Eventually, my heart went pitter-patter so much that I couldn't breathe, and my left arm felt numb. It's like, oh shit, is this the thing? And then I, I passed out. And then I woke up in a hospital. I was really delirious that first day. But then, the next day, the doctor explained to me that just like, oh, you, you had a heart attack. And I was just like, a heart attack? God closes the door, he opens a window, I guess. And the doctor's just like, no, it sucks. And I'm just like, oh man. <laughs> so I was asking the doctor, it was just like, well, I don't, you know, I don't really eat unhealthy or anything. I'm not in the age bracket to get a heart attack, so how could it have happened? doctor said no, yeah. Well, there are a lot of things that can contract a cardiac arrest. 
yeah, you're, yeah, you're doing your blood work and all that. You know, you seem pretty healthy. So if I had to deduce it, I'd say you're pretty stressed. I think it was, you had the heart attack through, from stress. And I was just like, from stress. And he was just like, yeah, it's, it ten tends to happen. Especially if you have a genetic disposition to it, then yeah, stress can easily kill you. And I was just like, oh. But Doc, I always try to be so, so optimistic. Not even optimistic, I'm just trying to be level. It's everyone else that's stressing me out. And the doctor was just like, well, having said that, uh, you know, my advice to you is just to cut back on stress. And I was just like, but Doc, it, do you, do you live under a rock? <laughs> and the doctor was just like, what? And I was just like, well, I mean, I don't know, ever since around like March or so, shit's been getting a little weird, you know? have the audacity to ask me to be less stressed out with all the fucking shit going on and the doctor was just like yeah I know tall ask but even still if you're too stressed out you can bring upon another heart attack and that might you know that might kill you so I, I left the hospital and then I was just trying to go about my business, you know, going to work and stuff. And I was just like, well, try to be fairly optimistic as it is. Seeing the world full of possibilities and whatnot. And I was just like, alright, I'm just gonna keep that going. Not gonna like the not gonna like the let the cynical people bring me down. So I was, you know, I was at work. And then an office mate came up to me and was just like, Oh hey, you're back from the hospital and I was just like, Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, had a had a heart attack. He was just like, yeah, you look really stressed. And I was just like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm just trying to be optimistic, you know. And he was just like, all right, well, you know. It's, I guess, at least it's like nice weather, though. And I was just like, yeah, it's, it's partially sunny. And he was all like, well, I call it partially cloudy. And he was, I was just like, no, it's partially sunny. I don't want it to be cloudy. I don't, I don't get stressed out, you know? I like that there's the sun's out and it's a beautiful day and that's nice and warm. And the office mate was just like, yeah, climate change, am I right? And I was just like, Jesus! I eventually fled and then went to the bathroom, sitting in a stall alone. Realizing that I couldn't have a casual conversation without some sort of existential plight attached to it. I felt my heart go pitter-patter again.
Personally, I try to calm my heart rate and I go back out there to the uh, to office land. And I'm having a chat with another office person. You know, we're ta just talking about random shit. I try to keep the conversation benign, you know. I try to talk about, like, Star Wars or something. You know, something palpable, something very, uh, you know. Not a lot going on in Star Wars in terms of existential plights. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, well, I really liked Mandalorian, you know. Thought it was really cool. And the guy was just like, yeah, yeah, the first season was, well, yeah, the first season wasn't bad, you know. It only took like, you know, 40 years for a good Star Wars story. And I was just like, well, you know, prequels in the sequel trilogy was okay. And he was just like, yeah, but I just think about all the starving children it could have fed. Those movie budgets. Those movies are really expensive to make, and for what? I feel my heart go pitter-patter again. I just wanted to have a fun, benign chat about Mandalorian and Star Wars. dizzy, start to, start to sweat, you know. And eventually my boss's secretary walks up to me, and she's just like, Jesus, you look like shit. And eventually I lose my shit, and I just shout at everyone, just like, shut up, all of you shut up. You're all a bunch of assholes, and you're all fucking downers. chat about like Mandalorian or like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Yes, I'm cool with talking about politics in a pragmatic and constructive way, but can we just like take a break from all the ex existential crises, you know, for like a minute? Silences the whole, si silences the whole office. Eventually I just like look around and everyone's staring at me and I just like start to storm out grab some of my stuff, and then I, before I reach the door, I turn around, and I just shout, fuck you, and then I bolt out. And as I'm walking out, you know, the clouds start to blow with a gust of wind, and I, the sun's fully out. And it feels warm out, and it's making me feel good. And then all of a sudden, my heart didn't go pitter-patter as much. But the moral of that story is just, you know, uh, manage your stress relief and Mandalorian's okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Alright, last story. It's gonna be called... <laughs> the Uno Sonata. <laughs>
I've never seen anyone murdered over Uno before. You know, I picked the game Uno specifically because there's no way that game can get, like, intense to the point where people get angry over it. Like, it's fucking Uno. <laughs> but there I was, just looking over Brenda's body, bleeding out on the floor. She was too good for Uno. Too, too good at Uno for her own good. players with me. And Theo was holding the knife that stabbed Brenda. He wasn't very good at Uno. And the other two players, uh, Clyde and Dave, they were still in the game of Uno, but they also didn't want to get murdered over Uno. So we were just playing it cool exchanging glances, and we're just like, alright, this is officially a hostage situation. We gave each other unspoken communication of just like, alright, Brenda's dead, Theo lost his shit and really wants to finish this game of Uno. Let's fucking play Uno. Just ride this night out. Just focus on getting away with our lives. So we dealt a new hand. Everyone got seven cards. So then Theo put down the put down the skipped card. Skip card, and my turn was skipped. He was just like, oh, John, looks like you turn skip. And I was just like, ha 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 ha, yeah. I didn't know how to monitor my performance of Uno in this time. But what I saw Clive and Dave, Dave do, it's like they were losing on purpose, you know. manically laughing, just like, huh, I sure do love Uno. The game goes on. And eventually, uh, Clyde has one card left. And he just holds it. Looks really, he looks really nervous. Eventually, Theo notices. Just like, Clyde, you got one card. And Clyde's just like, oh, yeah, I do. How about that? And Theo's just like, you're supposed to say Uno. And Clyde's just like, ah, ha, ha, Uno. And he's just trying to remain calm. We all put down some cards. his turn, he draws a card, draws another. Eventually he draws five cards, and then Theo's just like, oh, what's wrong, you don't have any blues? And he 
was just like, ha ha, no, no. You know, I just gotta keep drawing until I can put something down, you know. That's how Uno works. Now, my approach is just to, you know, play Uno, just play it straight. Play it like I would play any Uno game, you know. Like, trying to win, but not, like, being a dick about it. But what I saw Clyde and, Clyde and Dave do was that they had full libraries in their hands, you know? It's like they were trying to reinstate the card catalog. They must have had 20 cards each. If I didn't know better, they were trying to throw the game. But unfortunately for them, Theo wasn't very good at Uno. The game, the round went on for a while. I wasn't having any luck on, wasn't having any luck on my hand. Clyde and Dave ended up having, you know, 30 cards each. Clyde had seven cards. And he was just like, oh, I'm pretty, we're doing pretty good this round. Dave's just like, oh, yeah. And Theo's just like, yeah, you two... Theo's just like, yeah, you two tend to be really good at Uno. And then Clyde's just like, yeah, I guess we're just having a, an off night, you know. So eventually a green three is laid down, and then it's Clyde's turn. Eventually, uh, Clyde starts to draw some cards. And then Theo's just like, oh, you don't have any, you don't have any greens? And Clyde's just like, huh, no, I gotta draw more cards. And Theo says, he, not even any threes? Again, Clyde says, huh, no. Again, I'm just having an off game, you know? And Theo just kind of looks at him real shark-eyed look, and it's just like, let me see your hand. And Clyde's just like, what? No, Theo, that violates the rules of Uno. And Theo's just like, alright, well, I'm only asking because I, am, I find it highly doubtful that you don't have a green three, that you don't have a green card or a three. Clyde's just like nervously laughing, he doesn't know what to say to that. And eventually, Theo grabs Clyde's hand, looks at it, and half of his hand are all green. Eventually, Theo just loses his shit and then makes a wailing noise and then just stabs Clyde multiple times. Clyde falls to the ground. Then Theo looks at Dave. And then he's just like, oh, are you trying to let me win too? And Dave's just like, oh, no, why would I, why would I do that? Again, Theo freaks out again. 
he just stabs Steve like multiple times. He, again, he falls to the ground. So now there's me looking at all three of these bodies. Brenda, Dave, and Clyde. All bleeding out on the ground. And Theo looks at me, and he's just like, I guess there's just us. You know, why don't we start a new round? How about that? Since, uh, some players have departed us. I nod, uh, very hesitantly. I grab all the cards that flew on the ground. Most of them are covered in blood, but I shuffle them anyway. So at this point, all the cards are bloody. Eventually, I feel nervous and apprehensive. And then I, my hands shake as I shuffle the cards and pass out seven cards to each of us. I flip the first card on the draw deck and put it face up. And then the game can begin. But before I look at my hand, I suddenly get a rush of confidence. Maybe because I felt like I had nothing to lose. Maybe just some sort of renowned uh, courage at the face of death. So what I end up doing is just I look at Theo dead in the eye, and I said, Theo, if I'm gonna die tonight, I'm gonna die kicking your ass at Uno. Eventually Theo just like gives out a wail and then just like bangs on the table, and then the games begin. Now as I mentioned earlier, earlier Theo just fucking sucks at Uno, like unforgivably. So we're playing one hand after the other. I'm throwing down skips and reverses. Some draw twos, some wilds. Wild plus fours. He has some good cards too, but he doesn't know how to strategize well. And then we play round after round. Every time I beat him in a round, he just gives out a big wail, and then slams on the table, and then he says, go again, let's go again. And as the rounds went on and the night went on, I ended up beating him at every single round of Uno that night. renowned confidence, I just stand up and then throw one Uno card down on the pile, solidifying me winning another round. So as I'm standing up, I just start to leave the room, and then I say to him, alright, I think I'm done kicking your ass for one night, and I start to storm out. And Theo's breathing heavy, he's shouting. And he lets out a large yelp, and he's just like, 
Uh, that's the most intense Uno game I've ever played in my life. As I'm walking out, I get into my car and start driving off. I just think to myself, uh, that makes two of us, I fucking guess. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Nothing more cutthroat than a game of Uno. Don't we know it? Mm hmm. <laughs> well, that was Quarantine Spook Show. Had a lot of crazy stories that time some virgins and goats and. Organizing, Machiavelli, Cynics and Hearts, Murder and Uno. Anyway, I'm Kyle Carezzi. Good night. Good night to you. Good night to you. Good night. Good night. To you. Good night. <laughs>